Everybody got their Bibles with them today? I hope so. So we're going to look at this together. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter. 1 Peter. This came up as part of our reading plan in the last couple days, the Waylife reading plan that we post every, Deb posts every Saturday. And uh, as I was sitting down to prepare for today's today's message, uh, I knew in my heart, or I suspected on my heart what the theme would be that that I felt that God was saying and that that we needed to start looking at. Um, but I just sat down simply to do our normal reading uh, that we have uh, for the for the church, and here it was, the first thing that I read. And that was the, the topic of holiness and uh, in First Peter chapter 1. So I took that clearly as confirmation that this was the very thing that God was speaking and the God, that God wanted to, uh, uh, for us to really begin to drill into, I think, in these, these coming days. And I'll get into to holiness a little bit more, but I, I feel like since we're looking at First Peter chapter one, it's it's a good thing to I, I'm a big believer in understanding context. Understanding when we understand and look at any scripture, we have to understand it's all about context, context, context. Those are the three most important things in interpreting scripture is context. Well, uh, as you're turning to First Peter chapter one, what do we know about Peter? Peter is one of the 12 apostles. We all know this. Other than Jesus, did you know, other than Jesus, within the four Gospels, it talks more about Peter than anyone else. There's more, much more dialogue with Peter, things that he said, things that he did, uh, more than anyone else other than Jesus. Uh, it talks about Peter. And it's understood that Peter was more or less the leader of the apostles. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do, he was... He was also, you know, he was, also, he was very bold in, in his leadership. You saw this in a lot of things that he did and then he said. And, and, um, and it, was never, um, it was never really, uh, uh, you know, debated of Peter's position. We see that supported in, in Acts and, and Peter often speaking up and, you know, declaring what, what should be done uh, when there was when there were um, debates uh, about this or that. And we see that in the book of Acts. So he was definitely a leader uh, within the apostles for sure. Uh, what I also love about Peter's life is it, tra- it, it really details in the gospels a dramatic transformation. You watch Peter come from a, a timid, bold fisherman uh, to someone who really becomes the one who is a fisher of men, who is broken and understands uh, the centrality of Christ in his life, uh, and to where he he goes from a point of, you know, a crisis in his life where he literally denies Jesus three times, to flipping over just a couple pages in Scripture into the Book of Acts that when the Holy Spirit falls, he's the first one to stand up in front of the crowds and proclaim repentance. In Jesus, uh, so you see this very big transformation in someone. I love Peter. I love he had a big mouth. He was bold. He, you know, he he was he spoke before he thought. So I can certainly re- relate to Peter in his in his life. Um, 
He was undoubtedly an apostle. Paul, uh, Paul the apostle, had to defend himself as an apostle. Frequently he did that. Uh, it was never in doubt about Peter. Peter was known that he was certainly, most certainly an apostle. So here we have his, his letters to us, um, his letters um, speaking about salvation. And so there's so much in here. There's so much depth. I, I find Peter to be, First and Second Peter, one that you read slowly to really try to digest what he's saying here because there is there is absolute depth and and what we're going to be talking about here I mean he comes out swinging <laughs> right away he comes out with some you know very much like Paul he comes out saying some very very deep things uh, so again in context we are going to be focusing on 13 uh, uh, verses 13 through 16 but again because of context and because we're at the beginning of a chapter here a uh, beginning of a book I felt like I would just read from verse 1 all the way through through verse 17 so that we've got the context uh, and and then we're going to go very very deeply into 13 through 16 okay so it reads this and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible first uh, Peter chapter 1 verse 1 Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. And here we're up to our main text for today. Verse 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, 
and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Powerful words as he opens up his text to all believers. But I want to go down through verses uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16 now. And I want to dig deeply into that leading up to the, um, the understanding of this holiness that he talks about here. But first, before I, I dig into that, I want to say something. So uh, for anyone that's here, and I know there are at least one of you, and probably listening on our podcast, there may be a few more, uh, but I'm sure there's not a lot of you that love and read the King James Bible. Okay? There are a few left. Some churches are King James only. And if you know me, I almost never teach from the King James. And the reason is, is because the King James, though I love it, it's beautiful. It was written in Middle English and much of the words and the phrasing is completely uh, extinct in today's contemporary understanding of the English language. So unless you are quite Bible uh, Bible literate, you know the word of God well, uh, you know, it's difficult to understand a lot of that. So most Christians today, especially newer Christians, uh, look at other more contemporary translations of Scripture. So that's why I don't teach from it. Today will be the exception because these four verses that we're going into, while I looked at a lot of different translations, they get to the point and it's good. But the King James and the New King James has a level of clarity that I think is lost in a lot of the contemporary translations. So we're actually going to be using that today. Um, and I think after we're done, you're going to understand why, uh, particularly in verse 13, why we're looking at the King James. So let me read uh, 13 through 16 in the King James. And it says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Isn't that beautiful? I love, I love how it reads in the King James. It's beautiful. By the way, I use the King James every time I research and I study for any teaching whatsoever. So I use it all the time. I just don't preach from it. Um, 
So what is this scripture about? What is 13 through 16 about? We just went down through and he talked all about this great salvation and the salvation that was prophesied by the prophets. It was handed to us and we received it in faith and having you speaking to a people. Now, Peter was a person that walked and talked with Jesus, but he's speaking to a people who has, has never met Jesus in the flesh, who had never saw Jesus do miracles in the flesh the way that Peter did. And he says, you believe even though you have not seen, right? And he talks about the reality of this salvation of these people. It's a beautiful thing that he talks about. And he talks about how you're, they were sojourners. He talks about that early on. Where they're sojourners. They're, they're you know, foreigners in a foreign land. These people that he's talking to, Christians, he says, this is not your home. You're just simply passing through. You're a different kind of people. So he's talking, this is all of the setup, which brings to this point. So he's setting up, he says, this is your reality of your salvation. It's right, it's good, it's true, it's based on Christ. It was prophesied by the prophets. It was poured out and he was, he was revealed to us in these days. He was poured out uh, for us, for our sins. And we have received him by faith and we have a hope in heaven by faith through Jesus Christ. That's our reality. And that's the setup when he gets into this. And he's, it says, and it begins with the word, therefore, or in King James, wherefore, right? And so whenever we understand, uh, whenever we, you, you see, I've said this many times, whenever we're in scripture and we see the word, therefore, you need to know what it's there for, <laughs> okay? You have to understand the context of scripture. And so that's why we went through that whole chapter, beginning of the chapter, understand the context here. So it leads up to this concept of holiness be ye holy as he is holy in our humanity and weakness it is difficult for us to wrap our heads around the thought that we're supposed to be holy honestly on an everyday given average day with your work struggles your family struggles your personal struggles and everything do you feel holy honestly I think most of the time, we don't have that concept in our minds that I'm, I'm walking in holiness and I'm, I'm holy unto the Lord. We, we walk knowing that he is holy, right? And we recognize that if you're a believer in Christ. But how many of us view ourselves with holiness? But it's not just something... Um, that is our calling. It's, it's, it's nonetheless, even though we don't feel that way about ourselves, it is a calling to us and it's, it's actually a command. It's not a suggestion. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to be holy. We don't talk enough about that. We may talk about the holiness of Jesus and we should. All that much more we should be talking about the holiness of God, the holiness of Christ our Savior. But an outpouring, a result of the holiness of Christ should be the holiness of his children. Oh, yeah. This is the thing that we've got to focus on. And I believe in these coming days when Jesus comes back without, for, looking for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, he's looking for those who are walking in holiness. That's what it's about. This, this holiness, this call is found at least in three other places within the New Testament and countless times in the Old Testament. Holiness is talked about, the whole foundation of, of the Old Testament is on the holiness of God. 
And we're going to get into a little bit more of what that means, that holiness. But, but with the command of the holiness, it, it's important for us to understand, well, what's the prescription? What does holiness look like? And that's what Peter is actually addressing here. Quite simply, in these couple verses, and then, of course, he expands on it, therefore, and he expands more deeply, which we don't want to have time to go into, but we're going to be talking about these three, these three verses leading up to this when he says, be holy. He's really giving us a prescription of what it looks like and what we need to, to realize about ourselves. So let's look deep, very deeply into that, okay? Verse 13. So I'm going to go through this piece by piece. Again, I'm using the King James here because it most accurately in my mind uh, and in my research grabs this concept. It says here in verse 13, Wherefore, or therefore, <laughs> gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's why most translations don't say that, because who talks that way today, right? <laughs> Gird up. Most of your translations say, be sober-minded, right? And that captures the concept, but there's so much more to this, right? It's accurate, but there's more to it. So let me first say this. I was researching the Thayer's Greek Dictionary. There's the Greek word for gird up. This is what it says. The Greek word for gird up is a metaphor derived from the practice of the Orientals, who in order to be unimpeded in their movements were accustomed when starting a journey or engaging in any work to bind their long flowing garments closely around their bodies and fasten them with a leather belt. What does that sound like? It sounds exactly like the belt of truth that we just talked about a few weeks back when we were talking about the Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Okay, so there's nothing new under the sun. When, and, and so as... As, G, as Paul was using a metaf the metaphor, the, the, the soldier for the, the armor of God as a metaphor to, to you know, uh, uh, of how we fight the spiritual war, you know, these spiritual wars that we're in. Here too, Peter is using a metaphor uh, of this concept of girding up the loins. Well, here's the other side of this, right? So first of all, we, we, re, we just mentioned Ephesians 6, 14. Stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth. Here's what's cool is the Greek word for loins is exactly the same word in both scriptures. All right, so we're talking about the same thing. When we talk about the loins, now today we don't use loins unless we're talking about like, you know, pork loins, tender loins, right? Uh, we don't use that word all too, too often. But in this context, that's, there is a you know, deep meaning of the loins. So the loins is sort of, again, it's the hips, the waist area, okay? That resides right, right about the gut and just below the gut area. That's what we would consider the loin area. And so these, these scriptures are talking about taking all of these outer garments and to bind them up at that specific area of the body. Now, of course, now keep in context here that Peter is talking about our minds, right? He's talking about our minds. And so too, really, was Paul the apostle, 
when he was talking about spiritual warfare. He wasn't actually talking about this area of our body. He was talking about our minds and our approach to spiritual warfare, right? And so, so here, both of these verses are communicating this idea that there is a sloppiness in our humanity that needs to be dealt with. There's a sloppiness in our humanity. It's the weakness of our flesh, our misguided thoughts, our misguided passions and emotions. Listen, they don't just go away when you get saved. They don't evaporate over time. You can't cast them out. You can't self-help them out. You can only bring them under subjection. You can only gird them up and tie them up. You are human, and your humanity never goes away. We've got to make that, we've, we've got to be you know, brutally honest about that. We are saved, we are sanctified, we are set apart, we are apostles of Jesus Christ. Our identity is found in him. Our lives are hidden in him. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Christ in us, the hope of glory. All of these are true, but they're all hindered in our humanity. And we've got to come to that, to grips with that. That's why I don't like when I hear all the time these songs, you are enough. You, you know, just as you are, right? Everything's fine. It gives us, it can leave us with the impression that God's okay with just the way that we are and that we're no you're not enough everything in you God has placed in you everything enough when he created you but you've got this humanity wrapped around you that needs to be dealt with and that is not enough that is not something that is okay it needs to be girded up it needs to be tied up it needs to be dealt with and it's dealt with in the truth of God the truth of his word. All of this needs to be taken care of. So where else do we see this? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 5. This is going to be familiar because our entire Weapons of Our Warfare series was based on this scripture. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Taking every thought captive is the girding up. It's the girding up of the loins of our mind. It's dealing with our humanity because we know it's taking them captive. Those, those human thoughts, those human emotions, those human passions, those, those misguided ways that we have, they will come. They will come. The question is, what will we do with them? Remember, let's keep in context. What is this leading up? This is the prescription to holiness. Walking in holiness. You have got to deal with the messiness of your mind. You have got to deal with the messiness of your emotions. You have got to deal with the messiness of your humanity. That is the key. That's the entryway into walking in holiness. You have got to deal with it. If you don't, it doesn't just happen. 
It's not, it doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by just going to church and being around other Christians. Now, does that help? Absolutely. Because if you've got, if you're around godly men and women of, you know, uh, of faith, you're going to see how they walk. You're going to see how they react. You're going to see how they have themselves and their thoughts under control. And that can help you. That can inspire you. But it's up to you to gird it up. It's up to you to do the work to deal with your humanity. It just doesn't happen automatically. We have got to deal with the messiness, the sloppiness of our humanity. And that's where it starts. Gird up the loins of your mind. Your mind is where the battle is. Your mind is constantly uh, where the war will rage. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. He's talking about the laws, right? 7, 8, those areas, right? Where he's talking about the conflict and the laws operating within him, the laws of sin and death and the laws of God and all of those things. If you want to deal, I mean, he he absolutely, and he gets all to the bottom of this conflict and this struggle. And he says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the power of deliverance. It's the power of the transformation that comes through uh, the washing of water, the baptism that we go through, and the baptism of his spirit operating within our lives. He makes us able to deal with our humanity. It's through his power. It's not through, it's not through a lot of, uh, it comes through discipline. Yes, disciplining yourselves in Christ, but it's not like the self-help, I'll, I'll make myself better discipline that we see uh, in today. It comes through him and it comes through his power, but you play a part in it. You pay, play a part because we can throw off these things. We can cast off our repentance. We can cast off these things in the assistance that the Holy Spirit gives us in this process. We can throw those away. Um, so it takes discipline not to do that and to continue to invite the presence of God to come in and to, to deal with those human uh, attributes that we are plagued with um, until the coming of Jesus. Amen. And we are transformed into his likeness. <clears throat> Wherefore, gird up your loins, the loins of your mind. Be sober are the next two words. Again, in the King James, be sober. Certainly, this would include obtaining from substances, right? That alter or impede your mind, such as alcohol and other drugs. But that's not its full meaning. Being sober is about maintaining controlled and clear thought. As I was looking at this, there's at least 10 references to being sober sober, uh, in the New Testament. One of, uh, of the scriptures that is most relevant, I believe, here... Uh, and it's also, by the way, using the same Greek word for so being sober, is in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own 
passions, right? Pa there it is again, our passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth, the belt of truth, right? And wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Being sober-minded, having a sober mind is one of self-control. It's a mental and emotional maturity. I'm going to say that again. Being sober-minded is a mental and emotional maturity. And I am one who absolutely believes that you cannot truly be spiritually mature unless you deal with the mind and you are emotionally mature. Amen. Intellectually mature. Now, does that, am I saying really smart? No, I'm not saying really smart. I'm saying mature. There's a difference. Emotional maturity. Did you know they, did, they have done studies, many, many studies, about emotional, your, your EQ, your emotional quotient, and your IQ, your intelligence quotient. Did you know that your IQ, and there's a study for that to tell you what your IQ is. Did you know your IQ is fixed? So the, the IQ that you have when you're 10 years old is the same IQ that you're gonna have when you're 60 years old. It doesn't grow, it's, it's your ability, or it's your capacity to learn. But did you know that you can, they can also measure your emotional quotient? Your EQ, guess what? It can grow. Yeah. It's some, where your emotional maturity is now is not, it, it can actually grow over time. Your ability to be, become more emotionally mature. Amen. It can grow. Now, granted, most, uh, most people stop at, at some point in their lives. And did you ever notice that, that um, uh, a lot of addicts um, who, you know, are, you know, drug users or even former drug users that are, did serious damage to their mind and yeah. emotionally stopped growing. Yeah. And when you're using drugs or you're heavy in alcohol, your emotions will stop. You'll stop growing. You yeah. just won't mature. And some people get not get out of it. And we all know this. We've all met. We've all met adults well into the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, right? Yeah. That still literally act like they're teenagers. Their emotions stopped moving. And sometimes it's some substance, substantive. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's other things. But whatever it is, you need to be healed from it. Yeah. And you've got to move on. Sober-mindedness is one that has control over, your, over the thoughts that are coming into your mind and your emotions. And it's engaging different aspects of your mind, not to get too deeply into it, but there is a maturity. And we talk about this growing up. Paul talks about this many times. He goes, by now you should be teachers, but I still have to give you the elemental things of Christ. I still have to give you the milk. I have to, you know, he says, we ha should move on to not just the milk, but the meat of the word there's this there's this growing that we see in scripture it's all through scripture okay we have to be those the ones who are sober-minded the one who grows is the one that was aware self-aware what's happening inside between the temples between the ears right it's knowing uh, and and taking every one of those thoughts captive that is a part now why are you going so deep on this mike because it's a part of walking in holiness
If you are not aware of the decisions you are making, if you are not aware of the reactions that you're having in circumstances, if you are not aware of the thoughts about things, about God's word, about yourself, about the circumstances around you, you are not going to walk in holiness. Because you have to be aware of what you're doing. The decisions that you're making, they matter in walking in holiness. Being sober-minded. When you're sober-minded, you have a mind that is one of of self-control. It is a mental and emotional maturity where you are not double-minded, as James warms in James chapter 1 and 8. And you are not also overcome with fear, as in 2 Timothy 1.7. You all know that, right? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of one of power, love, and a what? Sound mind. The sound mind, If you again, not going into the Greek words, but it's a mind under control. It's one that is, it has self-control in the mind. That's what we're talking about here. So if you are overcome with fear, overcome with fear on a regular basis, that will hinder you in walking in holiness because you will react out of fear and not out of a sound mind. You won't have right judgment in those moments. Do you see? And, and if you're not make, having right judgment in those moments, you're going to do sinful things. You're going to stray from God's truth. You're going to be a double-minded person and says, you're going to be like, like Peter himself who walked on water and did so successfully when he kept his eyes fixated on Christ and Christ's truths and Christ's power to deliver. And turning your mind off of, taking your gaze off of him, that's double-mindedness, looking on the circumstances of the winds and the waves and the ridiculous, the ridiculousness of this faith walk that you're in, what appears ridiculous at least, and then doubting Christ. And now we begin to sink. We cannot walk in his holiness and in his power unless we're fixed on him. We fix our eyes. When you fix your eyes, you fix your mind. When you fix your gaze on the truth of God found in Jesus Christ, you, all of your thinking lines up. All of your actions line up. All of that gets aligned with him. Now you walk in power and you walk in holiness before him. But only when you have a clear mind. A mind that's controlled, where every thought that comes in opposing God gets taken, thought, taken captive mm-hmm. to obey Christ. Listen, the humanity will always be there. That's why we have to bind it up. We got to gird it up with truth, God's truth. When you're trying, when you're believing God for healing, and you've proclaimed your healing, physical healing I'm talking about, And when you wake up in the morning and you're having a bad morning, the tendency, the thought will come in, well, God didn't really heal you. God isn't actually going to heal you. See, now that's your humanity that's getting a little out of control. We bind it up with the word of truth saying God has healed. By his stripes, I 
was healed. Right? And we bind that thought up with the word of truth, that belt of truth. And we continue that day walking in holiness, even though our condition might look worse. We still walk in our holiness, believing in truth. We're not double-minded. But see, sobriety of the mind is where that starts. The only way you're going to know that doubt or anything coming in that's contrary to God's word is coming into your mind is if you're self-aware. If you understand what's happening in your mind. Pay attention to what you're thinking. Pay attention to what you're speaking. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of what's actually in you will come out of your mouth. You can never say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did, you liar. You said it because it's in you. Now, you might regret it now. You might see it now, and that's good. You might be sorry for it, but you said it because it's in you, and it needs to be dealt with. What you do, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Yes, you did. I didn't mean it. I made a mistake. Yes, you made a mistake, but you still did it, and you meant to do it because it's in you. It's in your heart. Be self-aware. Be aware, sober-mindedness, being, being aware of your thoughts, aware of your emotions, aware of your words, and aware of your actions. Because those things that you do, you've meant to do, and if, you, and if they're contrary to God and they're sinful, it's because you've got stuff in you, you've got human, humanity in you that is sloppy that needs to be girded up in truth. Yep. Holiness is in the This is where the battle is, right here, between the temples. I love this definition from Professor Paul Habert. He defines this sobriety, the sober-mindedness like this. It denotes a condition free from every form of mental and spiritual loss of self-control. It is an attitude of self-discipline that avoids the extremes. It's even. It's not shaken. It's, it's something where we, it's, it's kind of like that old Chinese proverb that I've said a couple last couple of weeks that I've shared in some of our meetings about, you know, there's a Chinese man and he loses his horse. His horse runs off. And the town comes over and says, oh, gee, you're, we're so sorry you lost your horse. That's terrible. And he goes, Maybe. And then the next day, twelve or seven wild horses uh, roam onto his property, and he's able to corral them. And they say, "Oh, that's wonderful! You got seven horses uh, now to replace that one. That's wonderful." And he goes, "Maybe." And the next day, his son goes out to break one of those wild horses, falls off, and breaks his hip. And the town comes over and says, "Oh, your son broke his hip. That's terrible." And he goes, "Maybe." And then uh, the uh, the uh, consulate or whatever the, the person is that comes that says we're, we're at war and uh, I'm going around collecting all the able-bodied men and draft them into the war. Oh, I see that your your son has a broken hip. He he can stay home and doesn't have to go to war. The town comes over and says, oh, he didn't have to go to war. Your son didn't have to go to war. That's wonderful. He says, maybe. See, that's actually a proverb of a sober mind. 
It's not being tossed to and fro by every wave, good or bad. Where do we know where that comes from? It comes all the way back from the eating from the knowledge of tr uh, the, uh, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where we determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. That is not up to us to determine, but we eat from the tree of life. It makes no difference what it looks like. It makes no difference if it's something is good and is evil. Our life sustaining powers from Christ alone, he determines, not us. He determines if these circumstances are for the good or for the evil. We look to the one. If we say something, we see something that looks evil to us, we can say, well, it doesn't matter because God, what the enemy has meant for evil, God can turn for the good. Or God will take these, he's using these evil things to set up something that is very powerful. And when blessings come into our life, we thank God for them, but we don't put too much stock in them because we know that they could be fleeting and we could be going back into the valley. Because we know this life is, up, is full of ups and downs and we don't get rattled by them. If we get rattled by them, we're the same person as the double-minded man in James when he says, let that, not man, that man not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Holiness is tied to stability. We don't get too rattled about things. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. By way of another illustration, I was, I was in a meeting not long ago, and there were people like shouting, really shouting, yes, amen, to the preacher, right? I've been in a lot of meetings like this, and um, shouting amen, and everybody's like getting up, you know. I remember one meeting I was in in particular. I, I was sitting there, I was, I was listening to the the, the preacher and we uh, there were people all around me they're jumping up out of their seats they're clapping amen and they're repeating what he says and these phrases and it's all this lively stuff and all the while I'm sitting there and I'm thinking is there something wrong with me how come maybe I'm not very spiritual because I'm not shouting and hooping and hollering and all these kinds of things I'm, I'm trying to take in what the guy is saying in this in this one particular uh, meeting I I was seeing this happening all around me and it occurred to me, as I listened to the preacher, man, he's, what he pro preached and what he was saying was full of passion and zeal and charisma. And he had great voice inflection and he knew how to turn those crowds on and everybody was responding. But everything that he was saying was completely drivel. It was empty. He wasn't saying anything. It was one cliche phrase after another. There was literally no content. If, if I asked anybody, what did he preach on? They'd no, nobody would have been able to tell me. All it was is this emotional, cathartic thing and got the, all the people going and they bought into it, hook, line, and center. I'm sink, sitting there thinking, what are these people getting excited about? The guy's not saying anything. There's no life in it. All he's doing is rocking the crowd and it's working because why? You're not being sober-minded. You're not thinking about what is being said. You are allowing your emotion to take over here and you're deceiving yourself, thinking it's a spiritual experience when it's nothing more than very, very good public speaking. That's all it is. How many times do we take on things and we get excited about it? But if you really think about it, there's nothing there. It didn't even make sense. 
Some of what we were saying didn't even make sense. Hey, listen, I love to shout. I love a good shouting meeting. And I'm telling you what, I'll shout if there's something to shout about. But if there's nothing to shout about, I don't care how good it sounds. I'm not going to shout. You know what I'm saying? Let's be sober-minded. Let's engage. How about this? Do, do we really think about the things that we're receiving? So forget that's in churches. What about the stuff that we listen to? What about the things that we, that we watch? Television and otherwise. Social media, TikToks, whatever, right? We, we're not, are we sober-minded? Are we judging the things that, are, that we're letting into our lives? I don't do it well all the time. I know that. Sometimes I'm, I'm good and super aware and self-controlled and other times I'm not. And I suspect that you're all probably the same way. But that's a part of the sober-mindedness. That's a part of girding our minds up, right? The loins of our minds. It's gathering that humanity. It's, it's knowing what's going on in our minds and what we are responding to. As a man thinks, so is he. Right? These are the things that we have got. What are we, what are we thinking about? Do we, do, we, do we stop and do we think about what's on my mind all the time? Because what's on your mind all the time, that, that governs your passions. Do you ever stop and think about what you spend your money on? That's a really clear indication of the things that you care about. Where am I spending my money? Where am I spending my time? Where's my intellectual property being invested on a regular basis? Those are the things that are ruling your life. Those are the things that you've set your, your mind on. Are they the things of God? Or are they not? On our path to holiness, we have got to deal with our minds. Hey, look, we've been over a half an hour here, and it's only been, it's only been the one verse. Verse we haven't even finished. There's the last part of verse 13. The rest of this will go faster, I promise. But this is where it starts. It's why we're spending so much time here. The battle's always in the mind, and we've got... We've got to take inventory. Wherefore, gird up your lo the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope to the end. Hope to the end. Number one, we're talking about a verb here. This is a hope is a verb. It's not a noun. He's talking about this is an action. Hope to the end. God's grace is receiving his unearned love and favor, his blessings and his gifts. When he says hope to the end for the grace, grace of the, it's, it's the same grace that we talk about. It's the same Greek word koinos, uh, sorry, um, uh, kairos, uh, where we get charismatic, right? Charismo, charismo, get it right? I'm trying to go on a memory here. Uh, 
charisma, charismo, it's the same work where we have the charismatic, the grace gifts of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? Speaking in tongues and prophecy and all of those things. It's the same grace he's talking about here. The grace of God is the unearned love and favor and blessings and gifts. What's important for us to know here is the hope to the end. That means it is to set your mind in such a way that you are 100% convinced that Jesus has given you his grace at your salvation. He gives you his grace every day in every situation in the present. And he will give you his grace when he comes for you in his second coming. It is past. It is present and it is future and is literally being convinced. We don't just hope that he's going to come in the future and he's going to take us. We literally line up our lives. We hope to the end, hope in completion. It's not a little bit of hope. It's an entire hope. It's what Paul was talking about, the hope in us, Christ in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? It's, it's, past grace it's present grace and in this context it's the future grace that he's bringing we it's wrapping up remember where he started off in the beginning of the chapter he says you're sojourners you're traveling you are strangers in a strange land this is not your home that's the context here he's talking about we're talking about coming into his fullness into his glory at the second coming of jesus when we are resurrected into his presence physical presence, that's what we're living for. We're not living for this life. We're living for that life, not this one. We, yes, we are citizens of this world and we've got, you know, we're all citizens of the United States. If you live there or in some other country, you're living there and you're citizens of that. But that is, as a, as a Christian, that is not your true citizenship. Your true citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through here. We're sojourners here. We're, we're pioneers through here. This is not our home. We're passing through. And he's saying here, part of the holiness is setting our hope completely, completely in the grace that will be given to us at the revelation when he comes back, when we're face to face with him. Everything lines up with him. Do you see that? I know it's a hard concept maybe to, to grasp, but it's not living for now in this world. It's living for there and that world and that reality. See, that will guide your mind. Hope, what's the scripture say? Hope in what you can see is what? It's not hope. Hope is in what you cannot see. Faith is in what you cannot say. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, as it says in Hebrews. Right? It's that hope that is substantial. It's substantive. It's real. It's not theoretical. It's literally living your line, make, living your lives, making your decisions, setting your life up with the sober thought that this is not my home. That is. And so everything I do in my pursuit and my walk in holiness is for that, not for this. And that is found in Jesus Christ. 
So we're girding up our humanity. We're being sober-minded. We're being very, very clear in what's happening in our lives and our thoughts and our emotions. And we are, we are convinced, convinced, hoping completely, not partially, completely in the fact that this is not our home. But there's a greater grace to be received. Eternity with him and glory and his presence, physical presence. Remember, he was speaking to a people that says, you believe him even though you've never seen him. But now he speaks of a day. We hope for the day that we will see him. That's what we live for. But how many Christians today are walking in unholiness because they are living this life like everybody else? I want to, you know, a, a little pink house with a white picket fence and 2.5 children. Average. Yeah. I want a decent paying job with a small 401k, something where I can, I can retire on 65, just enjoy my life and live out my golden years. No. Right? That's the things that we all want. Those are all the things that we, we would say there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what we're basing every day's life decisions on and we haven't tapped into the hope of the grace that we will receive in the coming of Jesus, the physical coming of Jesus when we stand before him face to face. If that's it, we are not going to walk in holiness because your mind is set on earthly things, not on heavenly things. How many times does Paul talk about that? Verse 14, and we're going to go quickly here to finish up. In verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. We're sober-minded and we're hoping in Jesus Christ as obedient children. This is all one continuation of a sentence. As obedient children, and we are not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Holiness and holy living requires obedience. John 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. The love of Jesus and the following of Jesus is hitched with obedience. It's hitched. Where the love of God goes, your obedience goes. You cannot separate them. You cannot walk and saying, well, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus and it's okay. He'll just forgive my sins. I'll be okay. He's okay with them. No, he's not. Because your obedience is hitched with your love for him. If you love him, you will not make excuses for your sin. You will not simply explain them away and say, well, yeah, I'm mostly good in mostly er most areas. God's okay with this one. He's loving and he's gracious and compassionate. I'll overlook that one. No. No. It doesn't work like that. You don't have a sober mind when it comes to that 
you're, you're not girding up truth in that area. You're not girding up your humanity in that area with truth. It's, it's not okay to think that it's okay to have exceptions or that we try to build exceptions into God's word. You've got a piece of your life flapping out here in the breeze. <laughs> you may have girded up your humanity in other areas of your life, and that's great. But it all needs to be girded up. Not part of it. The truth wraps around us completely. Not just part of us. There's a part of our humanity. We have to be obedient Today there seems to be such an emphasis on the grace and the mercy of God that the message of obedience or repentance has been pushed out. And as a worship leader, I'm appalled at what I'm seeing in many of our worship songs today. Because they don't talk about our, nature, our, our humanity and our need for repentance. Where have the songs gone that... Just as I am without one plea. That's when you say that, yes, we come to him just as I am, but he says, I, ha I don't have a plea. I don't have, an, I don't have a case. I don't have an excuse. Without one plea, I am condemned. Condemned. I don't have one plea. I don't have one argument. We have to know the condition of our state. We need to know the condition of our humanity. We deserve condemnation. We deserve God's wrath and God's judgment. And what, the better we understand our, the wrath, God's wrath and God's judgment, the more that we will appreciate his grace and his mercy. Amen. But we like to talk about his grace and his mercy and highlight that thing without having a revelation of the judgment and the wrath that we all deserve. See, it's tied. It's linked together. Don't talk about the love and the mercy of Jesus without talking about the wrath and the judgment that you deserve. Because one gives power to the other. It needs to be balanced. It needs to be sober-minded. When we talk about repentance, sin, and judgment, it's labeled as unloving or insensitive today. Nothing could be further from the truth. The message of God's love is centered around repentance, deliverance, and salvation. It's about crucifying the flesh and all its lusts that we once thought were okay or even good for us. The one who comes to Jesus must have a visible change in how he lives his life, the old and the sinful, and then the new and the righteous. If those around us cannot see the difference in our lives before and after Christ, I certainly question your holiness and probably your salvation. Amen. I'm going to say that again because... We've got to get this. If those around us cannot see the difference in our lives before and after Christ... I certainly question your holiness and probably your salvation. If there is not a marked difference, if the Christian does not stand out and be different from the rest of the world, we are not walking in holiness. I'm sorry, that's the truth. 
If we are hidden, if people don't see our lives any different from anyone else in the world, we're not doing it right, folks. We're not doing it right. We're not walking in His holiness. And I'm not just talking about the stuff that others can see. I'm talking about your playlists and your browser history. I'm talking about the stuff that they can't see. There's, that's where holiness really takes root. It's easy to look, it's relatively easy to look good on the outside. It's the inside when nobody's watching. That's where holiness is tested the most. Amen. Talk about girding up your humanity and having right thoughts. We act as if Jesus isn't watching. We act as if Je Jesus doesn't know what's going on in our minds. We act as if he doesn't know because no one else is seeing us. We're more concerned about being found out from family members or friends or people in our church when Jesus, the one who actually matters, already knows. As obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts in our ignorance. The lusts of our ignorance. Lusting after those things that God says, no, it's bad for you. It's going to tear you away from me. He's not trying to be a big meanie. He's trying to bless us. He's trying to fill us with our hearts with grace and peace and joy and love. We hang on to those old things of our humanity and we lust after those and we, we disobey him in those things and we keep going back to him. It tears apart your relationship with him. Amen. Jesus, loves the way you, Jesus loves you the way that you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And finally, verse 15, as we're wrapping up here, holiness. But as he which has called you is holy, so ye, so you, be holy in all manner of conversation, which also means conduct. That's King James speak. All manner of conduct, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Think about this for a minute. Jesus himself talked about us being grafted into him. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches, meaning we're a part of. How can the vine be holy and the branches unholy? It can't happen. Do you know what happens when the branch becomes unholy? Yep. It gets cut. It has to. The vine, if the vine is, is built to bring forth good fruit, how can the branch bring forth unholy and bad fruit? This is where we're supposed to be. We are a people who are meant to be holy, not because we can make ourselves holy, but we are grafted into the vine who is holy. We're connected to him. And the closer that we remain with him, the more we will walk in that holiness, the more sober-minded we will become, the more we will gird up all of our sloppy humanity. 
I'm telling you, the closer that we cling to the cross, the harder it is to walk sinfully. I mean, come on, you've all experienced it. When you start falling away from the Lord and you pray less and you're not in the Word as much and you're not in fellowship as much, it gets easier to sin, doesn't it? Come on, it does. Sin and tempta temptation happens when we're drawn away by our own lusts. We're pulled away. And in time, it gives it gives birth to, to death. Death and what? Yes, there's a physical death that comes from it, but there's a spiritual death that happens. Now, we might not have gotten to the point where we're cut off entirely, and then there's a, this, you know, we've got to that, that point, but I know a lot of Christians that are walking around sick, spiritually sick, spiritually handicapped, spiritually unfruitful. Why? Because they're walking in... They're not walking in holiness. And they haven't taken inventory of their mind. It's about being connected to Christ. It's about us coming to him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 says, for they disciplined us. He's talking about earthly fathers. Paul's talking about the writer of Hebrews, the earthly fathers. He goes, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he, God, does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. Walking in his holiness is for our benefit. But we fight it because we think we're going to give up something, as if we're going to lose something, as if God is a big meanie in heaven that doesn't want us to have joy or peace or fun. When all the while he's trying to give us life and life more abundantly. Not making us conquerors, but more than conquerors. Giving us far more than we could ask or imagine blessing us so where it's 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 pressed down shaken together and running over he pours those blessings into us that's what he desires but our stupid humanity and our willingness to buy in to the deceitfulness of this world and the deceitfulness of satan our adversary we buy into the lie that he's holding out on us and we know better. Gee, that sounds a lot like the garden. <laughs> sounds an awful lot like the temptation that Adam and Eve fell for. So they tried to assist God and in doing so threw their humanity totally out of control. Totally out of control. And we have had to deal with it ever since. But thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is our hope. And when we cling to him 
and evaluate our minds, meaning our thoughts and our emotions, our intentions, what we ruminate about, what we think about. When we evaluate our actions, what we do, where we spend our money, where we expend our energy. When we evaluate our words and what we say, what we speak over other people and speak over ourselves we can begin then to start bringing those things in closer to the truth of Jesus Christ and all that he commands and all that he teaches. And we, we say to ourselves, nope, nope, you're not getting the better of me. Amen. Nope, oh, nope, nope, come back here, you sleeve. Nope, come back here, you this, that. Get back, I bring you under subjection to obey Christ right now in the name of Jesus. I choose, choose, choose to walk in his holiness because I know he deserves it and it's good for me. He knows better. And then I'm going to trust him for everything else. I'm not going to worry about what to eat and what to put on. I'm not going to worry about how I'm going to be healed from this situation. I'm not going to be worried about how much is in my bank account. It doesn't matter because my life is not my own. It's been bought with a price. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That's his problem. Gee, I don't have to worry about any of this stuff anymore. Amen. Boy, does that take the weight off. Does it take the load off? Walking in holiness is good for me. Yep. It's liberating. It's freeing. That's the abundant Christian life that he is calling us to. Why do we fight it, brothers and sisters? Why? Because we're stupid. That's why. We are stupid in our humanity. We're deceived. Oh, but God. But God. We need to embrace his holiness. We want revival? Embrace his holiness. Embrace it. Watch what happens. You want to be used of God? Embrace his holiness. One thing I failed to mention. The waste. Do you know what the Hebrews thought of when it says, gird up your loins? That was very intentional. To the Hebrew, to the Jew, it spoke of procreation. If you want to produce in your Christian life, gird up your humanity in the truth of God and walk in his holiness. You'll be fruitful. That's at the heart of procreation in the kingdom of God. It's dealing with our humanity and walking in his holiness.
God, give us grace. We need it. We need your grace. We need your help. We need to walk in your holiness, oh God. Do a deep work within us, oh God. Revive us in our hearts. Shake us to the core. Give us a revelation of your grandeur, of your sovereignty, of your majesty. Fix our eyes on the majesty of God. Lord, give us a revelation of your holiness. Give us a revelation of what it means. Holiness, your holiness is something completely different from anything that we see in this world. It's completely other. It's different. It's set apart. It's, it's not a part of these things. Help us to see you in your holiness. That we can see what in the light of Jesus, in the light of your holiness, we can discern the good from the profane. We can discern the good from the evil and not determine for ourselves. We throw our lives into the capable hands of our God. And I pray, Lord, that you would fashion us Form us, mold us, shape us, prune us, instill into us, bless us, teach us, form us, God, into your glory, into your likeness, and into your holiness. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.